1: At luckylandslots.com. Available to players in the US, excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group, void where prohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply.
0: Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode. Group C Austria.
1: Today we're heading to Vienna to talk to Tom Midler about the Austrian national team. Tom is an Englishman and TV commentator who's been living and working in Vienna for a number of years. He's host of the other Bundesliga podcast, an excellent place to find out more about Austrian football, which is something I think people should be doing because Austrian football is on the rise at the moment. Red Bull Salzburg have been making progress in the Champions League and they're gaining a reputation around Europe as one of the top clubs for unearthing and developing young talent. Erling Haaland made his first steps in European club football at Salzburg last season, and it looks like others will be following in his footsteps. Austria have got some talented footballers at the moment, the likes of David Alaba at Bayern Munich and somewhere else this summer, Marcel Sabitzer at Leipzig, and there are also some promising youngsters coming through. But there are concerns, I think, that the national team is and has been too defensive under their German coach, Franco Foda. And those feelings will probably have been increased, I think, after the heavy 4-0 defeat to Denmark in Vienna in the March World Cup qualifiers. Now, I spoke to Tom before that defeat, and even before that defeat, there were a lot of people in Austria who felt that Foda should be going for it more and being more attack-minded. But whether Foda will feel that way now after the humiliating defeat to the Danes remains to be seen. Anyway, there's a lot to talk about. So, grab a glass of Almdoodler, the fizzy herbal drink, or a glass of Schnapps if you're feeling a little bit more adventurous. Stick in your headphones as we find out all about Austria with Tom Midler. Tom, Austria qualified for Euro 2020 in second place behind Poland, the group winners. It seemed a very underwhelming campaign. You know, they lost the first couple of games to Poland and Israel and then then won the most of the, the following games and clinched qualification with a 2-1 a win over North Macedonia. So what was your take on the qualifying campaign?
0: Oh, well, it seems so long ago now, thinking back to that North Macedonia game. Um, but in many ways, that game sort of summed up the campaign in that Austria got the chance to qualify, to seal that spot in the Euros at home in Vienna, uh, it should have been a perfect celebration of uh, of Austria's campaign, you know, coming back to win at home. It's exactly what you want, a winnable tie at home to actually seal your Euros place. And it just wasn't that exciting, you know, that it was a laboured performance and they uh, scraped over the line 2-1 and that sort of left everybody with uh, the feeling of, of job done, but uh, certainly not in the way that that really captured the attention of a lot of fans. And, and even on that day, it was it was hardly a, a packed house. You know, this was pre-COVID, and it was hardly a packed house in Vienna for that game against North Macedonia. But what you mentioned at the start, you know, they really put themselves on the back foot in this group with uh, problems in the early couple of games. And then actually, they did something similar to the Euro 2016 qualifying campaign, in which they then just went about uh, a solid but unspectacular, quite quiet run, where they they won several consecutive games and just really got themselves back into contention. And there were a couple of uh, international breaks where you thought, really, Austria needs to take six points out of this nothing else will do and they did it a couple of times in a row and yeah nothing particularly incredible you know draw against poland in the in the game against the top teams but other than that it's aside from that very first international break they pretty much got the job done on every occasion so i suppose if we were going to sum it up with a phrase and job done has come up already a couple of times <clears throat> and that would that would probably be the one it's uh, nothing more spectacular spectacular than that but they're there
1: yeah you mentioned Euro 2016, which was pretty disappointing in the end. The finals because Austria had gone in with you know, quite a lot of expectation. It was a pretty big disappointment in France. And then there was the failure to qualify for the 2018 World Cup. So the Swiss coach, Marcel Kola, who had been in charge, moved on and the federation went for a German coach in, in Franco Foda. Can you tell us a little bit about Foda and, and, and the sort of reasons behind his appointment?
0: Yeah, Foda was appointed mainly because he'd had success at Sturm Graz before. So this is a guy who is coming from German football, of course, a bit of like broadened horizons, um, not just Austrian football, but he knows Austrian football and he understands it. He's won the Bundesliga here with Sturm Graz, so one of the most recent coaches to win the league, actually, without uh, being in, uh, you know, being at Red Bull Salzburg, of course, who win most of the league titles here. Um, so that was over a decade ago, but still, it shows. You know, he's in touch with Austrian football and he's still uh, he was still sort of regularly around. So he seemed like a, a fitting candidate. But to go back to 2016, I think the the disappointment of 2016, the fans felt maybe that they got a bit burned with that because Austria were the dark horses for many people under Marcel Koller. They'd had an even better qualifying campaign that time. I think they won nine and drew one of their 10 games in qualifying, including a lot of narrow wins, the sort of 1-0 against Russia away, 2-1, 1-0 pretty much every time against the likes of Sweden. A lot of people people had them down as, as being these dark horses. And then when it came to the tournament, they just sort of clammed up, got very conservative in their group with Hungary and with Iceland and uh, with Portugal. Well, Portugal ended up third place in that group in the end in, uh, and going on to win the tournament. But Austria pretty much bottled it, I would say, and they they went into the, their shells and, and they never came out and... There was a moment, I think, early on in the first game against Hungary where they hit the post and had, had Alaber's shot gone in, maybe the whole tournament could have been different for them. But it just didn't work out. And, and they played really conservative football. And I think that's a bit of the problem now with Foda is that he struggled to shake off this image. Austria don't want conservative football anymore. That, that, that worked in a way to get them to the first tournament in such a long time. But now they're back. They're in tournament action a bit more regularly you've got to start taking a few risks. And Fodor at the moment has not really proven that he's a manager who's willing to take risks. He's been very conservative with both team selection and tactical selection. And I think I would probably identify that as the key reason why fans are not really getting on board. They're sort of happy to watch from home, watch on the TV and say, okay, good. Yeah, well, we got the result that we needed there, but I wasn't going to pay money to go to the stadium and and sit in the cold in in November and and watch this side whilst they they do everything in in a rather predictable fashion.
1: Yeah, because the Nations League games in the autumn of 2020 didn't go very well. He seems to have a very defensive mindset, and um, that's frustrated a lot of fans. Particularly when you look at some of the players that Austria have got. You mentioned Alaba at Bayern Munich. Marcel Sapienza is playing very well at Leipzig, and you know, attracting interest from from clubs elsewhere in Europe. Arnautovic is still is still uh, you know has something about him. So there's you know, they, is there a feeling that they should be playing more attack minded football because they've got players who can pull it off
0: I think so I think obviously if you look beyond David Alaba who's still the the outstanding talent and the sort of the most valuable and and certainly most high-profile player in the Austria team there's an understanding from fans here that this isn't you know nobody's expecting Austria to be a world-beating side this isn't quite a golden generation as a lot of nations talk about once in a while it's not that but it's sort of Potentially on its way to being that, or, or it's some it's somewhere between that and uh, and you know and a, a squad that you'd expect to to just sort of get the results that they are. So when you look at those players, of course you mentioned the the likes of uh, of Marcel Sabitzer. You know these are players who are in the Champions League week in week out, scoring brilliant goals, kind of lighting up European football. Austria don't have a, have a full squad of those by any means, but they've got four or five difference makers, I suppose you'd say, in the squad. And yet they are not being used to make a difference. So it's, uh, it's definitely a source of a bit of frustration. And I think Foda's managing the side as if they are Scotland and Wales from the 90s and 2000s when all the press conferences were like, well, we don't have the squad to do anything better. We've got to play defensively. We're trying our best. And it seems like Austria are playing in that fashion at the moment, whereas it doesn't really square up with the players that you've got on the team sheet.
1: And he, I mean, he gave some, some debuts in the autumn to some youngsters. Uh, Christoph Baumgartner, Twenty-one-year-old had a pretty impressive start. Um, he's given some other uh, other debuts to youngsters. Has there been a conscious decision to to blood new talent in the autumn? Uh, was he under pressure to do that, or was it just a, the natural progression of things?
0: I think he was under pressure to do that. I mean, it, it's far from me to say how much he responds to that pressure and, and what that means to Franco Foda. I, you know, I can't really speculate how how much he feels that that pressure and, and how much he acts upon that. But definitely the appetite you know, from people in Austria here—the the appetite was definitely why why aren't we bringing in these players and and not just young players getting debuts, but also players in Austria who were perhaps playing really well. You know, there's a an acceptance that the Austrian league has really strengthened in recent seasons. Um, teams are doing much better in Europe now from Austria, and some players have been real standout players. You know, and of course the Austrian Bundesliga is a source of a lot of untapped Austrian talent, and. What Franco Foda was doing was pretty much overlooking the Austrian players entirely. It doesn't matter how well they were doing in the Europa League, doesn't matter how well they were doing um, in the Bundesliga, they would be overlooked in favor of players who are maybe in the second Bundesliga or in Germany's Bundesliga, but sitting on the bench or or in the reserves, and just because they they play for a club with a bigger name. But sort of bucking that trend was was um, Christoph Baumgartner definitely worth a mention for me there. He's probably been the outstanding leading light in terms of new players that have that have burst onto the scene. He's playing in the attacking midfield role at Hoffenheim and I think he's caught the eye of, of so many people in the German Bundesliga. Uh, you know, obviously that is one of the top leagues in Europe and Baumgartner's burst onto the scene there, got a lot of goals and assists and, and just looking a really exciting, interesting player and still uh, a very young player as well and, you know, well in his, into his development phase. So, a lot of hopes resting on uh, Christoph Baumgartner's shoulders, certainly, to sort of boost the squad in the future. But uh, a lot of other interesting young players coming through, too. And it remains to be seen, really, whether, whether Franco Foda will look to those players. Um, the Euros is always a big decision because you don't have friendlies anymore or you don't have so many sort of freebies to test out these players. So... His actual Euros, his final squad announcement for the Euros will be watched very keenly to see if he does bring in some more players from the Austrian Bundesliga, perhaps, or or some more young players that haven't had time. But yeah, we did see it just at the end of 2020, and there were a couple of friendlies and a couple of um, maybe not 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 exactly dead rubbers, but a couple of games that were worth testing things out. And uh, they didn't always go the right way when Franco Foda did the experiment as well. So maybe that strengthened his own resolve to to be an even more conservative manager unfortunately
1: yeah i mean you mentioned that he's he's um he'd won the austrian league with Sturm Graz um so he had that credibility when he sort of started the job has he still got that credibility with the public is he is he a popular figure in his dealings through the media or is he is he becoming a slightly distinct figure
0: yeah he's he's somewhere in the middle i i wouldn't say he's a uh... He's a figure of fun, and I wouldn't say he's a, a massively popular figure either. Um, so I, I don't think there's a huge amount of people who are sort of calling for his head. But at the same time, I think that that will change after the Euros. I think the Euros is going to be his his last thing, really. You know, I think people know, yeah, he's he's got us there. He's got us to the Euros. We're going to have to give him this chance. We do hope that he brings in some more exciting strategies and some more exciting names as well, and, and perhaps goes for it a bit more. But um, he's earned his chance to, to lead Austria through the Euros. So I think most people will kind of reserve judgment until after that. But similar to the way Marcel Koller worked in, in that, because it's not an Austrian personality either, you know, Koller is Swiss, uh, Foto is German, perhaps that, that sort of shields him from some press here. It's not quite the same. I think the attention would be a bit, bit larger if he was an Austrian character, you know, an Austrian guy. Perhaps, um, yeah, perhaps the fact that he's, he's from Germany does sort of deflect a little bit of that away from him. But I think, uh, I think if the euros don't go particularly well, certainly if Austria fail at the group stage this time around, I don't think we'll see um, Franco-Foda lasting much longer.
1: Sure. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit more about the, the tactical options open to Foda. First, let's take a quick break. Right. Back talking with Tom about Austria. Um, Tom, Tom, Foda has used quite a few formations in the last few years: four four two, five four one, three four three, three four one two. Looking at some of the the lineups from from games going back the last couple of years, he seems to have settled on four two three one as the sort of default formation. Is that fair enough? Although he he tried a back three in in one of the uh, the friendlies in the autumn, didn't he? But four two three one seems to be his his favoured formation.
0: Yeah, that's right. The 4-2-3-1 was the the one that he's pretty much settled on for most of the important games. As we talked about before in the first part, there were some games in in the autumn of 2020 where he started just about to to just dabble with a bit of experimentation. And it was interesting to see what he went for with those because there were a couple of games where he, he played the 4-2-2-2 à um, la Salzburg. So a hint from uh, from the attacking football that Salzburg play. And he tried the three-four-three. Of Lask, which the Austrian side Lask have used to great effect in uh, in the Europa League and in the Austrian Bundesliga as well, and he even brought in four Lask players, uh, which was a big surprise for Foda. But these are the kind of things that take a lot of time to actually bed in. You know, you can't just try it for ninety minutes and then sort of write it off as as if it didn't work. You know, the players need a whole um, kind of schooling in that in that footballing style if those are going to work. So he tends to go to the four two three one, and. Whilst in theory that's uh you know you can see the ideas for that obviously you've got the striker you've still got the wing players you've got a bit of depth in the defensive midfield as well and um, there's a big problem for him with that four two three one in that uh, Julian Baumgartlinger the captain and the uh, Bayer Leverkusen defensive midfielder has uh, recently you know in 2021 suffered a knee injury that could well keep him out for for the Euros we don't know yet and of course uh, massive fingers crossed from everybody in Austria um, Baumgartlinger is. You know, really experienced player in that defensive midfield role, and a really important workhorse for the Austria team. And although he's not a, um, you know, he's not a particularly uh, spectacular player, he's a really, really solid option and, and a very experienced professional. And it would be a big problem for for Foda if uh, if Baumgartlinger didn't make it back for the Euros, um, when he's got two defensive midfield slots to fill. You know, you really need Baumgartlinger as the captain in one of those. I think most people would. Would say that the solidity that he brings is sort of vital to that four-two-three-one, and 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 as we said before, the four-two-three-one has only it's only sort of just about worked. It hasn't it hasn't massively impressed anybody, and you always have the problem with the four-two-three-one of of where do you fit David Alaba in as well? You know, that's one that catches the headlines too, so it brings extra pressure. You know, do you do you deploy Alaba in his more Bayern-like role, or do you try and bring him further forward to to sort of Lighten up the attack and, and, and brighten up the attack a bit, and I don't think it's it's ever really been been found in a convincing way that yes, Foda knows now this is the starting lineup, this is the the right formation, and I think he's mm. still still not quite sure, which is a bad sign really. I mean, you
1: mentioned Alaba because he's he's as you say the most high-profile name playing for the you know the European club champions, Bayern, and he's played at left back, he played centre back for Bayern. Um, but his flexibility is almost a problem, is it? Because you can fit him in anywhere. Does not mean he doesn't build the team around Alaba? He, he sort of, he sort of deploys him where he thinks he can be most effective. But it's players like Baumgartlinger in 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 defensive midfield and Ilsanker, and Conrad Lema, who are the sort of they're the sort of heart of the centre of midfield, defensive midfield, and then he he sort of builds the attacking players around them.
0: That seems to be about right, yeah. Because we've definitely seen Alaba, you know, as the as the left wing forwards, and we've seen Alaba in the left of the midfield. We've seen him, yeah, across the back four as well. It's one of those, isn't it? You know, I think a lot of national teams have that debate sometimes. Like, is it more important to get the big player in, whether they really fit in or not? And you never really know whether that does it cause more problems than it solves. And perhaps you could make a case for Anatovic being a bit of a similar one there, because Mm. Austria have got they've got a few goal scorers but the likes of gregoric and and Gerbic, who's one of the new players who's come in they're not really you know they're, they're sort of dependable sort of solid but they're not um they they're not quite the same personalities they're not they haven't got the x factor that uh, marko Arnautovic has got and you feel like yeah when marko Arnautovic is available it's always an attractive option to put him in even though it, it might not always work best for the side, so there's, there's dile- dilemmas like that with the big personalities, with the Alibaz, with the anatoviches and you do wonder if Franco Foda is is a is a tough enough coach to sort of make the t- make those difficult calls.
1: You mentioned Anatovic because he's been the sort of the main man for quite a few years in, in attack. He's now playing in China. I guess there's a lot of questions as to whether you know his 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 fitness levels are as high as they that they once were, and and um, and and whether he's still the player that he, he once was. You mentioned also Gerbich, um, who's had a very good season, had a good autumn, didn't he, for Austria? Uh, are Gerbic and Gregorich the alternatives to to Arnatovic in attack now.
0: At the moment, yes, pretty much. So there's there are more players coming through, and there's more options that I think I, I personally would like to see some other players given a try as well. But it was a success story that Gerbic scored important goals for Austria. That that was really good to see. You know, Gerbich has gone under the radar here in Austria. To, to a certain extent because he made his name out of the blue in France by banging in a load of goals and securing quite a big money move to Lorient. Therefore, you know, he's not in the papers here in the same way that a lot of the Austria squad is. Uh, Arnautovic, for example, is still in the papers, even though he's in China, just because he's, he's such a big name. And, you know, once you've played Premier League football here in, in Austria, you're, you're well known, you know, you're, you're going to stay in the headlines. And, yeah, it does seem like Arnautovic's time is sort of slowly coming to an end. With Austria, I think he'll still be around for 2021, but maybe not too much beyond. We did see last year with some of the international breaks and some of the games uh, Arnautovic was basically just given the time off just because it's such a, a, a burden really to come back over from China. And and then maybe you're only coming over for a couple of days. And as he said, questions about fitness and about match preparedness and and the the, the level of football that he's playing in China. So he almost secured a move this this winter to to Italy, and I think his odds, um, if he'd have ended up at Bologna, his odds of, of being in the Euros with Austria would have been a lot higher, or or his his chances of being in the starting lineup for sure would have been a bit higher. But I, I think we'll still see him around. I think he'll be he'll be one of those players who's still in the squad. But when I look at the sort of the youngsters, I think there's some other interesting players that that people would like. They might be a bit of an outside bet now for for a starting place, but. One who who, uh, sort of graduated from from one of the teams here in Austria and and made a move to Germany was Sasha Kaladzic, and I think he's really hit the ground running in um, at Stuttgart in Germany. He had a a terrible injury in his first season, just after he signed for Stuttgart, had a a knee injury that kept him out pretty much the whole of his first season. And even in that, the end of that very first season, he kind of came back with a bang and and had a good impact at Stuttgart. And now they're playing in the Bundesliga. He's uh, he's not um, like the first name on the team sheet at Stuttgart, far from it, he's still a young player, but he keeps coming in and making valuable little contributions to Stuttgart and you think, yeah, that could be, it could be a player like Kaladzic who's, uh, who's worth giving a go and, you know, Austria at some point need to start giving people the minute to, to become the long-term replacements. You know, you're always going to have untested players until you test them, so fingers crossed that there'll be some more players coming in.
1: And behind the main strikers, you've you've got. I would imagine Sabitzer is the key man in mid in that sort of attacking midfield role. We mentioned Baumgartner as well, who's coming the youngster on the sort of left side of midfield. Is Sabitzer the, the key key man in that role? And are there are there any other players to look out for?
0: Well, he's certainly the guy with, with the biggest presence, the biggest level of, of, of experience at, at the top level of, uh, of European football. So Sabitzer is one of those guys that you hope, you know, when, when the chips are down for Austria, you look at Marcel Sabitzer and you think, is he the guy that can, can carry us through this? So, so there's a lot of pressure on his shoulders too and, and a lot of hope from the Austrians uh, on, on what, uh, what Sabitzer can do. You know, he, he's a wonderfully technically gifted player. He scores some brilliant goals out of nothing sometimes. So you've got to look at him. And if if a player like Sabitzer can find a back of the net and, and sort of light up Austria at the tournament, it could be a huge boost for them. It could, could really sort of set them on their way. But elsewhere, there's players like Sava so Schlager from, from Wolfsburg, who's been quite solid. Um, he's one of those that you think, you know, he's come through from South moved up to Wolfsburg he's sort of on the verge of really finding himself as a solid um starter in the Austria team so I think Foda's is looking for a bit more for players like like um Saverschlager still young as well to sort of make their impact and make their mark on that midfield which yeah it's it's again it, it sums up Austria in many ways it's <laughs> the midfield is quite solid but but unspectacular at the moment but you do feel like they could give more and um yeah, Conrad Lima, as you mentioned, has been been doing very well as well. But they're struggling to sort of turn games in Austria's favour, and that that might be a big um, a, sort of a big test for Franco Foda. Actually, if he can really get the midfield working, the attacking midfield role, then Austria could start playing really attacking and exciting football again. You know, they've got the potential. You know, they've got Lazaro. These kind of players that can play on the wing and uh, and be dangerous in the attacking third of the pitch. But at the moment. They're not quite having the impact that you'd want them to. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of things to work on there.
1: And in defence, Hinteregger is the is the main centre back. Is that is that fair to say that it'll be Hinteregger and one other as the centre backs? And Hinteregger sort of seems to score a lot of goals, at both ends of the pitch. Um, but he he's a key figure at the back, yeah.
0: Yeah, Hinteregger's definitely emerged as as the sort of the key figure at the back, as you mentioned. <laughs> and yes, you mentioned he has uh, rather a penchant for own goals, unfortunately, but. In fairness to him, he gets, uh, he gets his head on a lot. He comes up for set pieces and occasionally he's the kind of centre-back that you see taking one of those sort of deft touches for a, a turn and finish in the box that you'd say you wouldn't expect from a big centre-back like that. But he's, he's a big character and a, a yeah, big, important player in the defence for Austria. So you'd, you'd certainly look at that. I'd wonder if somebody like Gernot Trauner can come in as well. He's just been, been one of the very best players in the Austrian Bundesliga for quite a few years now. Uh, with incredible statistics and incredible reading of the game. Um, I, I personally would love to see Gennot trying to have a shot in the defence as well. But, um, yeah, for now, if if Foda sticks to that 4-2-3-1, I'd expect, you're right, it will be will be Hinteregger. Hinteregger plus one, really, would, would be mm. how I'd put it. And then almost the, the left and right back positions are a bit more a uh, bit more sort of solidly occupied. You've got um, Stefan Leiner as well, who... who Plays for Gladbach and knows what he's doing in the sort of the wing-back positions. But um, centre-back, a bit more of a mixed bag at the moment.
1: Yeah. And, and Andreas Ulmer, a veteran. I mean, he must be at 35 now. Uh, at left-back, he, he still keeps going then as, as the left, uh, on the left side.
0: Ulmer still, uh, yeah, still going at, uh, at left-back. 35, you're right. Um, still, I feel like his his impact at Salzburg is just starting, starting to wane at the moment. Um, he's been he's been a really important player for a long time at Salzburg and and for Austria too. But um, we've got Christopher Trimmel comes in also pretty old now. <laughs> well, not old really, is he? At 33, but you know, in that it's at those international senses, he's probably not going to be around for too much longer. Unless unless albert is is playing his his left back role, then then Andy Ulmer's in there. And
1: what about other youngsters who might come in? We we talked about Baumgartner, but um, are there any the the under 21s have had a a pretty good group. The last couple of years, haven't they? They've, they've come close to qualifying for the Euro Championships. Hans, Hannes Wolf, Wolf is is a is a guy who's been mentioned a lot. That could could get an opportunity. Are there are there any
0: others? Yeah, there's a bit of pressure on Wolf at the moment because he's another one. He took the same path as Xaver Schlager, moved up from Salzburg at that time, was sort of a big export from Salzburg to Germany, but his career hasn't quite gone as you'd expect or as he would have expected at the time and, and many would have hoped. So, so Wolf was probably the main man in the under-21s in the last couple of years and uh, and yet all of a sudden, not all, not entirely through a fault of his own, but you know he moved up to Germany and it just hasn't quite worked out for him in the Bundesliga there and a bit of injury, a bit of bad luck, not quite fitting into the side that he, yeah, I would say his career stalled a little bit at the moment. So there's big pressure on Wolf to, to get himself back into contention. But elsewhere, there's a there's a good crop of players coming through. You know, one of the one of the candidates for that centre back role alongside Hinteregger would perhaps be uh, Maximilian Werber, who was uh, an expensive export once from from Austria, from Rapid Vienna out to to Ajax, played for Sevilla, and now he's back at uh, Red Bull Salzburg. Werber, still a young centre-back, 22 years old, still plays a bit with the under-21s. Um, but he'll be fancying his chances now. You know, he's, he's an experienced centre-back in the Champions League with Salzburg. He surely is going to be one of the, the few players from Austria, who, as in from the Austrian Bundesliga, who's, uh, who's got a realistic shot of, of having an impact in the Euros for, for Austria. Um, you've got Leo Grimel at, at Rapid Vienna, who's a really impressive young uh, centre-back. He's 19 years of age and looking like his development is going really, really quickly. So big things for him, probably a little bit too young, a bit too much of an outsider for this campaign for the Euros, but definitely watch out for Leo Grimal going forward. His teammate as well, further forward, the attacking midfielder Yusuf Demir. He would be one to watch in the sense that he's he, he may only be 17. So he's a, in that sense, he's a real outsider for, for a shot at the Euros. But at the same time, he's... Potentially a generational talent. If somebody, if you're going to sneak in a really young player or, or really, you know, outside chance to give him a shot, then Yusuf Demir has got to be that guy. I think he's. A, you don't want to use this comparison too much, but he's a he's a Messi kind of player. He's a Messi-esque player. He's one of those players that's small in stature but incredible with dribbling, incredible vision, can pick out a shot into the bottom corner when there's no space around him, and, and you wouldn't have thought it's possible. So he's a really exciting young attacking midfielder. Uh, here in Austria, Rapid Vienna. So, yeah, perhaps a bit too far off for that one. Yeah, perhaps the players in Austria are not necessarily going to be on Foda's radar for now, but they could definitely form form the backbone of a side in a few years for Austria. Because there's also you've got the likes of Patrick Vimmer at uh, Austria Vienna. He's um, wanted by a lot of other Austrian clubs at the moment. Vimmer, only 19 years old, and, and a real key player this season for a struggling Austria Vienna side. You've got Marco Grull, who's also who's uh, playing at Reed and uh, wanted by salzburg wanted by rapid vienna uh, another interesting attacking player and these yeah these are guys who will be probably be floating around after the euros making their case to to sort of push up from the from the under 21s into the into the first team in in a few years time
1: i'd like to talk a little bit more about the the state of the austrian league and austrian football in general first let's take another quick break right back talking with tom about austrian football tom i'm going to sound a little bit like an old git here when i talk about the Austrian teams of the past, but there's a there is a glorious tradition in Austrian football isn't it, that stretches back to the 1920s and and 1930s. With the Hugo Meisels of under team of the with Matthias Sindelar, uh, the guy, tragic figure, but an incredibly poignant story. The, the guy was known as the Paper Man. Um, you had the team in the late 70s and early 80s with with Hans Krankl. They qualified for you know, successive World Cups. Do people still reference those teams? It's just old kids like me that talk about them, or is it? Uh, is there any sense still of Austria having a, a, a really proud football heritage?
0: Oh yeah, people definitely reference those teams. That that means a lot to people, and yeah, mentioning the Paperman, Matthias Schindler, and guys like that getting to these these major cup finals and having some some really big moments. It just reminds you that back in the day, Austrian football was was massive. You know, it was a huge part of the culture here, and and it still is. It may be eclipsed by skiing. And it's sort of in its national stature. But of course, people still absolutely love football here. And the, the domestic league is, is burgeoning at the moment, really growing. Austria have pushed up into the, into the top 10 in the uh, European leagues, which you think about the likes of, of sort of Holland. And you think, oh, that must be way above Austria. But it's not. You know, they're at a very similar level. And You think maybe Poland would be on a similar level. It's actually not true. The Austrian Bundesliga is miles ahead of the, the Polish league, for example. So you know they're they're doing a good job here, and the main TV pundits, our guys, as as you mentioned, you know some of these these guys from before, Herbert Prohaska and the like, you know, they bring back a lot of good memories for people because these were these were big players and and big names, and you know it wasn't that long ago; it was only in sort of 80s and 90s where Austrian football was still playing a much more prominent role. We have to remember that it's only been in the last sort of 25 years or so that football's really split off in that the, there's a few countries that pretty much dominate everything. But before, even uh, younger football fans might remember Champions League games with like Sturm Graz, with, with Rapid Vienna and the likes of those. You know, they were coming up against Manchester United, coming up against Liverpool uh, in, in Champions League campaigns and things. So there's still a, a lot of history here and uh, it's, it's a big part of, of the culture and having the league on a, on a really upward trend at the moment is, is doing it no harm at all.
1: Uh, and, and Salzburg, you know, had a lot of success domestically now, um, and and finally qualified for the Champions League and, and and done pretty well in the Champions League as well. How's that been viewed? Because Austria, I mean, Salzburg, you know, I've got this association and investment from Red Bull, and yeah, it, it, it doesn't sit kindly with a lot of people. Um, how are they viewed within Austrian club football?
0: Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. I think generally. It's no surprise that you know fans of other teams are not warming to Salzburg. <laughs> I mean, fans here, fans don't warm to their other teams here very much at all. It's quite, uh, it's got, the support is quite partisan here. It would be fair to say, you know, even in Vienna, you've got Rapid Vienna and Austria Vienna. It's a pretty, uh, yeah, it's, it's a hate-filled rivalry really. So uh, people don't really have time to to go out of their way to hate Salzburg too much. And I think perhaps Salzburg have an easier time of it than. LB Leipzig do in Germany uh, for, for various reasons, including the fact that you know Red Bull is to many people a quite a proud Austrian organization. You know, it's a, it's sort of at least partially founded here and partially Austrian company and it's an international success story. They sponsored sports for a long long time and that, that sort of cuts them some slack. But of course sort of in, in Austria itself, thinking about some classic teams, you know the Austria- Salzburg team which Red Bull Salzburg took over, that Austria Salzburg team was a well-loved team. You know, they reached the UEFA Cup final as recently as 1994, and uh, they had Bundesliga titles to their names, and they were famous in their in their purple and white shirts. And then when Red Bull Salzburg took over, you know, they were going to change the kits completely, change the name, and they only offered to keep the purple as the away goalkeeper socks, and uh, that, <laughs> yeah. that was that was obviously not uh, not an offer that was accepted graciously it was it was a bit of an insulting offer to say the least so so Austria Salzburg reformed as a different club they wanted obviously to keep the history of Austria Salzburg but because it's the same legal entity Red Bull Salzburg technically have that history uh, but but they are now sort of proving their worth in a way you know i think Red Bull Salzburg have, have pulled Austrian football up into a different stratosphere really people all over the world now know that Red Bull Salzburg arguably have the very best sc- uh, scouting network of any team anywhere they've got incredible incredible scouts in Asia in Africa in South America you know they've got a system of development here where they can bring players over they've got a team in the second division that they can help to, to sort of bed them into European football with and now when you bring them up into the Bundesliga they get to play in a competitive enough league they get the chance to qualify for European competitions you know they get a chance to play in the Champions League group stages and maybe beyond one day soon and it's the perfect stepping stone for a lot of players. So although they win most of the domestic trophies here and the other clubs obviously are a bit envious about that, you know, of course you would, it would be good for Austrian football to see the trophies shared around a little bit more. I think it's fair to say that clubs like LASK and even clubs like Rapid Vienna, they, they wouldn't be doing as well as they are at the moment if they weren't forced to sort of push the envelope by what Red Bull Salzburg are doing. So, yeah, they're not popular, but they're also not uh, entirely derided.
1: Um, I, and, and yeah, there's there's quite a few players coming through domestic talent that we we've referenced already. But Foda seems to continue to trust German-based players ahead of players based in Austria. There was a game in October against Greece, a friendly, with eleven foreign-based players in the starting lineup, and. Is is that just a reflection of football economics that the you know the the, the, Bund, the German Bundesliga is is able to, to 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 you know attract those that talent? Is there an element of Foda trusting German based players more that he's, he yeah you know, it's where he's from it's where he he knows best?
0: I think it does seem that way. He definitely seems to trust that. I think maybe this is something that we're going to see start to change. You know, the, the Bundesliga is probably only just grown here in in Austria into something which is is really worthy of, of trusting and it takes then a few years probably a few more years of growth for that to actually work its way into the national selection but yeah I, th- I think that's definitely the case I think Foda trusts that your training regimes and, and your, your coaching is better if you're a reserve player in the German Bundesliga than it is in the Austrian Bundesliga I don't think that's true anymore I don't think it really holds up anymore but We'll see the effect of that in time. You know, I mentioned that game against Luxembourg, the friendly, where then at any one time, I think I think four Lask players were on the pitch at the same time, which is an incredible achievement for a club, the size of Lask. You know, and it reflects the fact that they reached the the last sixteen of the Europa League last season with a budget of of virtually nothing. You know, so the coaching must be good, and the the, the footballing philosophies that these guys are being taught at Salzburg, especially, are you know that that can hold its head head high anywhere in, in terms of the, the coaching standards that you're, that you're getting. And I think Austria is going to sort of reap the rewards of that soon. I would imagine that some of the players that I mentioned, you know, your Patrick Wimmers, Leo Grimel, these young players, Yusuf Demir, they then might want to hold on in the Austrian Bundesliga a little longer in their careers and not move too early to Germany, which therefore obviously boosts the Austrian game a lot. If these players stick around for another few seasons, make a name for themselves, bring a bit more interest into the Austrian game, strengthen the Austrian League at the same time and then make a big move away uh, it, it's just it's sort of a win-win in that sense if Austria gets it has a league that's strong enough to hold on to its better players just for a little bit longer Austria will always be a selling league um, you know Austrian players will always make the move up to Germany just because it's it's very natural of course you know the, the amount of the, the strength and depth that you've got in Germany is always going to attract Austrian players you know you can make a move abroad where you can still speak the same language it makes perfect sense to move to you know if you're playing at uh, Salzburg and you can move to, to Dortmund or even to you know to Stuttgart or somebody lower down it's, it's still a really good move for a lot of players and obviously the, the Salzburg to Leipzig path is one that's very well trodden as well and yeah it will always be the case but then almost every league is a selling league actually it, it's uh, it's only the top couple of leagues that that genuinely can can hold on to their talent at all times but I think the, the trust is coming for, for Austrian players in Austria to get into the national side. And Foda's just about shown that he's, uh, he's slowly becoming more willing to accept that.
1: Just finally, Tom, looking ahead to the finals, Austria have a, a reasonable group draw with Holland, Ukraine and North Macedonia. But they seem to be wary of talking up their chances after to what happened last time. What, what's your prediction for what will happen uh, at the tournament?
0: Oh, good one. I mean, tough one. It's um I think that there's winnable games. There's no easy games there, and Austria know that they will be viewed as a winnable game as well by the likes of North Macedonia, by um, by Ukraine too. So so they, they should be actually some really interesting games. And I think the public wouldn't mind as much if Austria go out there, really give it a go, play some attacking football, play some just play some exciting football and try and maybe end up even getting defeated with some sort of swashbuckling efforts. I think people would still be quite happy with that in in many senses, rather than maybe, you know, the the expansion of the Euros meaning that you can get through in third place. I think if Austria scraped a couple of draws and got through in third, people still wouldn't be very satisfied actually. So I think you've got to try and take it to, to the likes of the Netherlands and just see what you can, what you can come away with and then, and just really go for it. If they can play free and, and play forward and, and give it a go in the other games, then people will be happy. And You've got to look at the group there and say that Austria have got the potential to go through. So, you know, as, as much as it does contrast with what I just said, I think at the end of the day, if Austria really did come forth in that group, you couldn't help but be disappointed. But I think more important than that is that they just don't play this conservative football that they did in 2016.
1: Tom? great to speak to you thanks ever so much for your time and I wish Austria all the best for the summer and um, I hope at some stage we can meet up hopefully in a packed stadium full of supporters but uh, if it's if behind closed doors then so be it but um, uh, let's let's try and meet up in the summer thanks ever so much
0: thanks a lot Gavin that would be absolutely fantastic uh, hope to see you at a game of the Euros you know why not Let, let's go for Austria v, uh, v Ukraine the, the big clash that would be great <laughs> see you there <laughs> Thanks
1: for listening to this podcast. If you liked it and you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro
0: Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper?